Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. And now, here is Pastor Anthony Riley. Let's dive in. Good morning, Sunrise Church. How are you doing this morning? You can do better than that. How are you doing this morning? All right. I'm so glad you're here. We're going to have an amazing time in the Lord. Uh, we have been going through this series for the last two months called Summer Playlist. And I don't know about you, but this series has really challenged and changed my life in a magnificent way. What we have been doing is we've been taking popular and old school songs that we will listen to on any given day, whether you're barbecuing or on a road to somewhere or in the gym, your playlist. So we thought it'd be fun this season of ministry to kind of put the word of God, the songs up against secular songs. And what we've been doing is we've been kind of messing around topics uh, with the various themes. We have looked at and listened to songs centering on those who are hurting. Those who are happy or proud, those who are fearful or disillusioned. And Pastor Carlo did an amazing message last week on what do you do when you're lonely? So today I'm going to kind of hit a button, hit something in your system, and I pray that you don't run from it, you run to it. Because the theme I'm going to address today is how do you deal with guilt and shame? What do you do when you don't know what to do, to be honest? <laughs> but yet we're going to deal with that. And as I preach today, this conversation might unearth some past pains or traumas, but I don't want you to run away from them. In fact, and indeed, I want you to lean into them. Why? Because I'm expecting God to break some chains this morning. The truth is you must want it to happen. You know, my family roots are grounded in the deep south. In particular, my family is from Louisiana and Arkansas. And when you grow up in the Raleigh household, there's type, different types of music that we listen to. Show enough, we listen to gospel. That's a word, show enough. We listen to gospel. Uh, we listen to reggae. We listen to jazz. We listen to the blues. We listen to oldie but goodies. And we listen to R&B. Now, for this segment, I'm going to take you back how the Rileys used to listen to music. And, uh, but when you listen to this song, don't let the beat catch you. Because we listen to beats and we go all for it. But I want you to really listen to the words of the song. So let's listen to this song and just listen to the words. Check it out. Both are happy home. 
now after service I need this entire section to come meet me at the altar because you knew that song way too well and I just want to make sure that you're still saved in Christ amen we can have fun in the church here's the deal if you really listen to those words you have two individuals that in a relationship with another person but yet and still they think it's okay to cheat on their spouses so what they try to do is they think through this thing and they hide and put secrets behind so that they can tap into their pleasures or their emotions. What secrets are you hiding from God this morning? There's also a song in the Bible written by King David, and he kind of talks about the same theme of the song Secret Lovers. So I want to compare the song of Atlantic Star with the song of David. So if you have your Bibles or an app on your phone, I want you to turn to Psalms chapter, Psalms 31, excuse me, 51. Psalms 51. This song is written by David, and David is pleading with God to forgive him for what he done. He's coming to the throne of grace. He's asking God for forgiveness. But in order for you to understand Psalm 51, you must first understand what is the background or the storyline that led up to him pinning this Psalter. We don't have time to go through the entire story, but go ahead and write a note. You'll find the, uh, the entire song or the entire storyline, excuse me, in 2 Samuel's chapter 11 and 12. I'm going to highlight some of the language in those chapters, but in your quiet time, I really want you to dive into those two chapters because you're going to understand why David wrote what he wrote. And during this time of David's life, he is the king of Israel. He has the position, he has the power, and he has been battling many different enemies. In, in fact, he is battling the Amorites at this time. The Ammonites, excuse me. And he fought them the year before. He pushed them out of the country. Now they're behind their walls. And now it's time for battle again. So he commands his army, he commands his commander, his general, to go take it to the enemy. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'm going to start off with verse 2. It says, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, David had no business being at home. In fact, he should have been on the battlefield with his troops. Instead, he decided to stay back. And he decides to take a walk on the roof and he certain glances and sees a beautiful woman and it catches his eye. 
So he sends someone to see about her. Who is that gorgeous woman? It comes back saying, hey, that's Bathsheba. She's married. You think David will say, aha, let me leave her alone. But that's not what David did. David, in verse 4, David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Mm. It just got real messy here. Here it is, Bathsheba. And it's interesting because there's much conversation about did Bathsheba willingly sleep with David or did she acquiesce because of his power and his position? I'm going to cover that later, but at the end of the day, this is a muddy situation. After hearing the news, look what David does in verse 6. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. What I find interesting is when David found out that Bathsheba was pregnant, he didn't send for her. He didn't say, baby, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I put you in this predicament. I didn't mean for this to happen. He does nothing for her, says nothing to her, but he sends a letter to his general and says, bring me Dave, or bring me Uriah. Verse 8 says, then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. The general had no idea why David wanted Uriah, but David did. David calls Uriah, has small talk, small conversation. How are you doing? How's the war going? How are the troops? First of all, he could ask his general that. The reason why David called Uriah because he had a scheme, he had a plan, he had a plot because he wanted to cover up what he did with Bathsheba. He tells Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. That's simply David saying, I give you permission to go home and sleep with your wife. He says, indeed, in fact, I'm going to send you a gift. Now, if I'm imagining and if I'm the king, if I'm going to send Uriah back, I'm going to send some, some type of wine, some Chardonnay or something. I'm going to send some chocolate. I'm going to send some strawberries. I'm going to send some flowers because I want to set the scene. It said he sent him a gift. But Uriah is so committed to God, he refuses to go home because the Ark of the Covenant is on the battlefield and so are the troops. So when they found out that he didn't go, that's David. David tried something different. He said, okay, I'm going to ump the ante. So David invites him over to dinner. He gets him drunk and said, now go on home and go sleep with your wife. But because of Uriah's integrity, amen, and his courage, he says, I refuse. And what Uriah did is he went outside, got a mat, and slept with the servants because he said, I will not go and do that. You think David appraised him and say, wow, you're teaching me character and integrity now, but that's not what David did. 
He wanted it to go to another level. And this is what he did in verse 8. Well, that's uh, verse 40, uh, 14, sorry. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. Ain't that something? And then he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. That's kind of extreme, isn't it? But some of you are doing the same thing in here today. You got yourself in something you had no business doing. And instead of owning up to it and confessing, you think I'm going to cover it up. And I'm going to cover it up until you do something totally drastic and there's no coming back from that. David gets word that Uriah's dead. He doesn't even blink an eye. He doesn't even ask what happened, how did it happen? He's just happy that it's over and he thinks that no one would ever find out. That was his response, but look at the response of Bathsheba. In verse 26 it says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. I wonder how she felt when she heard the news. Did she lock herself in the room? Did she say, Uriah's dead because of me? I wonder what she was thinking when the baby was in her belly. How did she handle all of the pressure and the stress? Did she feel guilty? Did she feel shameful? That's how she felt. But look how David responded in verse 27. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. Lord have mercy. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. This story sounds like an episode of the Maury Show. <laughs> In all its craziness. And at the end of the day, David thought he was okay. He thought he covered the sin. But yet and still, when no one's watching, God is watching. So you may think you're getting over on someone. But at the end of the day, God sees all and he knows all. And sooner or later, he's going to have a conversation with you. That's what happened with David here. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, it says that the Lord sent Nathan to David. <coughs> Excuse me. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, a rich and the other one was poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought he raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Here it is. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. This story is all about David. And Nathan is uh, confronting him saying, you got nerve. You have all these women, but yet still, why did you have to call Bathsheba? And why did you have to sleep with her? 
Uriah just had one wife. He loved her so much, but you thought it was okay to sleep with her. This is how you know you, you disillusioned. Look at verse 5. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he had done such a thing and had no pity. Is that your attitude? You know you walked over people. You knew you treated people wrong, but instead of taking ownership for what you've done, you want to blame the other person. Now you self-righteous. But then, here, but here come Nathan. Nathan said to David, "You are the man. You're the man. You're the man who used his power to do evil. You're the man that took his position." And took advantage of someone with lesser rank. You are the man and you use your privilege to trumper over people less fortunate than you. You are the man, David, and you tried to keep it a secret. But now God has exposed you. Now David could could have made excuses. He could have changed the subject. He could have watered it down. That's not what David responds. David responds in verse 13 was, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against God. I have literally sinned against him. I wonder if David would have confessed if God wouldn't exposed him. I wonder if he would have had the same attitude if he wasn't gaslit. I wonder if he would have just said, you know what? I overstepped my boundaries. We don't know that, but we do know is when he was confronted, he confessed. He acknowledged his sin. He blamed no one. He begged for divine forgiveness. And out of the story I just told, David penned Psalm 32 and Psalm 31. So now that you know the backdrop of this song, I want you to really listen to the words that David penned for you and I, because we too can make poor choices. Indeed, and in fact, we have made poor choices. But these are the words that David wrote. Psalm 51 verse 1 says, he says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before you. David says, I know. I had no business calling Bathsheba to the castle. I know I should have been on the battlefield with the other troops. I let my emotions and my feelings get ahead of me. I got complacent, but here it is, God. I need you to have mercy on me. He's not sugarcoating. He's not watering his words down. He's acknowledging his sin. And he's asking God in his divine providence to save me and bring me back into relationship with you. You see, many of us are still broken because we fail to acknowledge our sin. 
We fail to take ownership and accountability because we think no one will find out. We make up excuses. And some of the statements we use is kind of ridiculous, but here are some of the statements you might have used before. It just happened. I didn't mean for it to happen. It just happened. Here's another one. I wasn't in my right mind. I was drunk. It's not my fault. It's your fault. If you would have given me more attention, maybe I wouldn't have slept with that other person. We fail to take ownership and we wonder why we're still broken and satin and walking around with guilt and shame. And I know this is a heavy topic, but we're going to work through it, amen? Because I believe that God wants to break the chains this morning. And if you're willing and able, God will meet you where you are. David goes on to say, against you and you alone, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. David understood and recognized that we all have this innate ability of sin in us and we gravitate towards it. David understood that this is a sinful world and the devil tries everything he can to get our attention. But David also recognized that I have a choice and I need to use the wisdom that God has given me to make that right choice. And in making that right choice, that choice, God is going to lean in and help me in this scenario. So he's not backing up from it. He's leaning in to it. He says in verse 7, this is key, cleanse me with hippos and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Now, David knows that we don't serve a God who forgets, but he's saying in your mercy and your grace, just blot it out, God. Don't hold this sin against Father God. Indeed, and in fact, help me get to the next level. Don't hide your face from me. And this word hippus, it, it's a leafy plant. In the Old Testament, the high priest would take this leafy plant and dip it in blood or dip it in water, and he would kind of put it on the person because he was getting them ceremonial clean for the ritual. And what David is saying is, just like an old. I need you to take that leaf, hallelujah, and I need you to put it on my head because I'm tired of the disconnection. I want to be connected to you, God, so I need you to cleanse me spiritually and help me because I just don't like feeling like I'm feeling. David here is running towards God now and not running away from him. There's so many spiritual lessons behind this story. And today I want to unpack and discuss the unaddressed burdens in your life. I want to talk about that grief, that sin, that shame that has you crippled. And I want you to look at it face to face and say, God, help me in my time. And here's the deal. You 
cannot unburden yourself from your sin, shame, or guilt. Here it is. But God can. And the good news is he wants to. So how do we approach dealing with sin and shame? If you're taking notes, this is the time I want you to begin to take these notes. Because I want to give you three points that's going to help you deal with this thing we call shame and guilt. Number one, you must come to God with an open heart. You, you, you must come to God with an open heart. Now, there's this term, this statement that this young culture is using this day. They say, keep it a hundred. Come on, Reverend, I want you to keep it a hundred, which means I need you to be honest. Tell the truth for once. And, and that's what I want you to do. I want you to keep it a hundred. I want you to tell the truth to God. Why? So that he can help you in your time of need because initially David didn't keep it a hundred. In fact, he did the total opposite. He tried to run from God, but I'm telling you to run to him. If he was being honest, I wonder if he would have called Bathsheba and said, I'm sorry. I want to highlight Bathsheba for a second because I believe she's lost her voice. Because if you look at the scripture, it says that, who is that woman? It said, that's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. Her name is mentioned one time in the scripture. After that, it's the wife of Uriah. And, and I want to talk about Bathsheba for a moment because, again, there's a debate. Did she willingly or did she acquiesce? Here's the facts of the story. Bathsheba was minding her own business, taking a bath when David spotted her on the roof. Bathsheba didn't sin for David. David sinned for her. Bathsheba didn't have the power, the position, or the privilege to say no. And at the end of the sexual encounter, David sent her home. He didn't even give her some cookies and some milk. He ain't feed her. He said, I'm done with you, and he sent her home. A one-night stand. How would you feel? And I want to talk to those people in the room who's been taken advantage of. Hear me now. Someone misused their position, their power, or their influence against you. And it scarred you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Maybe it was an uncaring mother or father who left you to fight life by your own. Maybe it was someone who took advantage of you sexually as a child. And now you find yourself trying to pick up the pieces in life. Maybe it was a boss or coworker who lied on you just so they could get the promotion or the job. If that's you, I want you to know Bathsheba, I see you. And you do have a voice. And you don't have to do life alone. But here's the deal. You still got to come to Jesus. You have to lay it at his feet. You have to deal with that grief. You have to deal with that shame. You have to deal with that. Because if you don't, it's going to keep you crippled. And you don't have to stay there. I want to talk to the Davids in the room now. You took advantage of someone. And you did it knowingly. You use your position. You use your power. You use your influence. And you just trampled all over them. 
this message is for you too. David turned, admitted, and he got his mind right and asked God to make a difference. But we're all like David sometimes because what David did, he didn't come to God. He dug himself a deeper hole by scheming and plotting and trying to control the situation. And many of us fall into the same trap. Instead of taking responsibility, we dig ourselves deeper into our shame, deeper into our guilt, and we move further and further away from God. But whether you are Bathsheba or David, listen to the words of David in Psalms 32. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. David said, I'm broken. I can't breathe. I need help. I need you to rescue me, Lord. Now we listen to the song, Secret Lovers. I want to draw your attention back to some of the, the, the language they use. And this is what they said in their lyrics. Here we are, the two of us together, taking this crazy chance to be all alone. We both know that we should not be together because they found out it could mess up both our happy homes. Secret lovers, that's what we are. We shouldn't be together, but we can't let go, oh no, because we love each other so. Many of you are broken because you just don't want to let go. But this morning, God wants you to let it go. And if you're going to let it go, you're going to have to get to the feet of Jesus. It says in Psalm 32, verse 5, David said, I acknowledge my sin to you, and you did not cover up my iniquities. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. God is waiting for you to come to him so he can remove, blot out the sin, but it doesn't happen unless you come. That's number one. The second thing you must do is, if you want restoration, is available if you want it. It's available if you want it. Here's the deal. God is not going to force it on you. But it's available for you. David knew he needed a radical transformation of his inner self so that he could learn wisdom and adopt a new perspective. Many of us are using the same perspective and we're wondering why we're in the same drama. God wants to change your perspective. But it hurts my heart because many of us don't want to be restored. <laughs> we like the mess that we're in. We think it's cute. But here's it is. Some people don't even believe that even God will forgive them or restore them. They believe their sin is greater than God's grace. But that wasn't David. David said in verse 13 again, I have sinned against the Lord. And the crimes that David did, he committed murder and he committed adultery. And they're both punishable by death. But God in his sovereign grace and love, he forgave him. But just because God has forgiven you and the person has forgiving you, it doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with the consequences. Second Samuel chapter 12 says this, this is what the Lord says. And he said it to David, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you because before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. 
and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I would do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Some people believe because God forgave me, the person should forgive me. Now, the person should forgive you, but it doesn't mean they can't put up boundaries. If you cheated on your wife or you cheated on your husband, you expect them just to say, oh, okay. It doesn't work like that because you've taken their trust. What they've given you, they've took it back. Or you get arrested for DUI. And, and, and the officer gives you a ticket and he says, I see you still got to go to court. You might lose your license. You might have to do community service or do some jail time. That's the consequence. So just because the person forgives you and God forgives you doesn't mean there won't be consequences. But at the end of the day, David knew his consequences, but he still wanted to be restored. So much so, he said these words, creating me a pure heart, O oh God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Here it is. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He said, I know I've done wrong. I know I've broken my commitment to you. I know I murdered a man who did nothing wrong. I know I pulled this woman into the bed with me and I had no business doing that. But right now, I need you creating me a clean heart, oh God. I need you to restore me to that place of salvation. And if that's your cry tonight, I want you to lean into that because God loves you. But you first must come to him for the restoration. But here's the end goal. Those who are restored share their story with others. Those who are restored share their stories with others. I believe that when people are willing to tell their stories, life change truly happens. We saw that today. You saw people get on the stage, say, I used to be this, but now this is my story. I used to be an addict, but now I'm free. I have the power of God in me. And that's what David did. Look at Psalms 51 verse 13. Then I will preach transgressors your ways. Here it is. So that sinners will turn back to you. David wasn't ashamed of putting his reputation on the line. He said, I did it. I'm going to own up for it because I know God is going to fix it in the end. And by sharing your testimony, the devil can no longer use your past hurts, habits, or hangups against you. Because why? It's exposed. I believe God put this story of David and Bathsheba in the Bible with all of his ugliness to what? Give us hope. I don't care how far you've gone, how far you have fell, but God's hope will bring you back to another level because he wants to rescue you. God says boldly, I will meet you where you are and love you through it, but I won't leave you there. And David ends with these words in Psalms 51. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifice of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. What David is simply saying is 
because I've given my life back to you, you're now rebuilding me. And if you want to be restored and you want God to begin to invest in you and you want to make the reconnection with him and fellowship, you must first come to him with an open heart. As I prepare to close, I want to highlight three people in this story. Three people. I want to highlight Bathsheba. I want to highlight David and Uriah. Let's first look at Bathsheba. Not too much is known about Bathsheba. Her name was initially given, as I said before, but she was identified the rest of the story as Uriah's wife. This is what I want you to think of. I wonder how Bathsheba felt when she was summoned by David. I wonder how she felt when she walked into the castle. I wonder how she felt when you realized or she realized she was pregnant. I wonder how she felt when she lost a child. Did she feel ashamed? Did she feel guilty? Or did she feel both? And if you're in this room or watching online, can you relate to Bathsheba? Do you feel like your voice has been censored? Do you feel like someone has walked all over you? Do you feel someone has taken advantage of you? I want you to know God sees you. But I also want you to know that he understands. And I also want you to understand that you can lay it at his feet because he loves you that much. It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all of you who are weary and heavy burden and I will give you rest. He wants to give you rest tonight. That's for those Bathsheba's in the room. What about for David? Possibly you walked over someone and you know you were wrong. You used your authority, your position, your kingship, and you took advantage of relationships. Why? So that you can get the advantage. I want to encourage you to put your sins and your imperfections at the feet of Jesus and allow him to do the same for you. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrows bring death. If you're going to come to God, you need to come with a pure heart. Now, whether you are Bathsheba or you're David, I want to talk to you one-on-one. Unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. True restoration begins when you say yes to Jesus, and you begin to follow him. In Sunrise Church, I call it the ABCs. You must first admit that you're a sinner. You must admit that you can't fix it. Now you need to believe on Jesus and Jesus only. And when you do that, you can commit your life to him, and that's when transformational change happens. So this is for those who don't know Jesus, you want to have a relationship with him. This is for those who used to be in a fellowship with him, but no longer are. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. If you want to get that connection with Jesus, if you want to say, Lord, I'm broken. If you want to give your life to Jesus, I want you to repeat these words after me in the silence of your heart. Lord, I'm broken. I need your help. I admit that I'm a sinner and today I give my life to you. Come into my heart, Christ Jesus. I commit to you today. I thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If that was your prayer, 
I want to be the first to say congratulations. Please text next at 909-281-7797. We have people behind the scenes that want to have a conversation with you. But if you're bold, I mean really bold, after service, go to the next step table. And someone will walk you through the steps that you did. What about for the rest of us? I'm going to end with Uriah. What if you've done nothing wrong? What if you're just walking, doing what God has called you to do? I want to encourage you to continue to do it. Get plugged into a small group. Volunteer in the church. Are you giving your tithes and offering? Uriah showed us how we should live and serve God. So let's take his advice and be all that we can. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. What an amazing word, Father God. And I'm not going to apologize, Father God, that the word that you put to your people. We have some soul searching to do, Father God, and it starts with me. I pray, Father God, that we will lean into you, Father God, and change our hearts from the inside out. As we shift gears, Father God, into offering, thank you for those who are going to give to your kingdom building. Bless their hands and their lives, Father God, that you see fit. And for those who wanted to give but have nothing to give, I pray this morning that they give you your heart. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people say amen and amen. Be blessed. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.